ओम सदाशिव सरंभां शंकराचार्यमध्यमा अस्मदाचार्यपर्यता वंदे गुरुपरंपरा इट्स अ वेरी स्पेशल ब्लेसिंग टू बी हियर एंड टू चांद द प्रेयर टुडे एट हिज बर्थ प्लेस इट्स ऑल्सो अ ब्लेसिंग टू टॉक अबाउट टू महात्माज स्वामी चिन्मयनंदा एंड स्वामी दयानंदा सरस्वती जी to see how they contributed to the vedanta sampradaya now the tricky thing about a contribution to a sampradaya is the traditional view and the academic view the traditional view is that you are a contributor if you are a sampradaya with if you are loyal and adhere to the teaching tradition the academic view could well be that i want to add something new i want to integrate what already is because i'm not able to see the meaning because i have not gone into the depth of the tradition and so when we talk about what they have contributed to the sampradaya we obviously see them as sampradaya with not sampradaya krit not trying to create their own tradition yet because they articulated the different prakriyas without dumbing down the tradition but they articulated in a contemporary idiom and also to contemporary times uh, so that is going to be the framework within which i look at both their contributions so arundhati so yeah we we talk about swami chinmayan ji first um arundhati has done half my job so i'm not going to uh, repeat the same thing um we all know the times that uh, swami chinmayan ji spoke uh, during so i think the only one or two things i want to add in addition to what she already said is that uh, uh swami chinmayanand ji broke through brahmanical orthodoxy so that was very important at that time and also gender exclusivity because uh he was perhaps uh, one of the first few people to initiate women into sanyasa and as arundhati has already very well articulated that <clears throat> nobody was denied because also just as uh, shankara speaks about in his bhashya we also have to account for purva janma punya okay because of which people are drawn to this and of course we know about the modern secular english educated person who was totally uh, cut out from his roots so i'm not dwelling on that too much uh, she has already spoken about the bmi chart uh, which was at that time like she very rightly said an entry ticket it helped people to visualize certain things and what is also unique is the fact that despite being a vedanta teacher he contributed to the very many elements of sanatana dharma in which the roots of vedanta can really uh, sprout and so therefore there were programs for all ages it was not only restricted to adults so that you know with the recognition that we really need to have an early start and then the couple of other things which was as perhaps one of the people have already stated that he wanted to convert hindus to hinduism 
very rightly said, and he also, in his own words, he wanted to hawk Vedanta. Uh, one of the other things that happened uh, to families in the US was that they were again uh, uprooted in more ways than one, and therefore, uh, in terms of the temple societies, and also the Bal Vihar and all the other programs, he made a big contribution. So our Koti Pranams to this Mahatma. Then of course I go to Swami uh, Dayananda Saraswati Ji, who uh, obviously need not be confused with um, Arya Samaj, Dayananda Saraswati. And um, he uh, ha also happened to be the guru to our Honorable Prime Minister Narendra Modi and also in recent times to Rajiv Malhotraji. Not that that's his claim to fame, but I'm just contextualizing. Uh, Swami Chinmanji was one of his gurus and uh, there are many things about his contribution in the way in which he articulated uh, the teachings, of course, he was uh, Shankara Anugai, and so therefore there was no uh, diluting the tradition uh, at all. Uh, recognizing the pressure of modern times to make Vedanta scientific, to explain Vedanta in psychological terms, he just made one statement which was in psychology there is no solution and in Vedanta there is no problem. It is a brilliant statement which talks about the role of psychology and just by the way I trained as a psychologist um, in my Purvashrama and so and I also practiced for a long time. So he emphasized the role of psychology, he spoke a lot about the unconscious and he also spoke extensively about how one can align Pratibhasika uh, Satyam with Vyavaharika Satyam. He was totally in line with the tradition and he accounted for how all the other methods, uh, including yoga and tantra, how all of them contribute to Antakarna Shuddhi and Naishchalyam. At the same time, he obviously, because he was also addressing global audiences, he was very clear that uh, psychology doesn't deliver the goods, it just helps us to manage life, but you know, there is no solution in it. But like in Vedanta, there is no problem. And he unfolded that in a very deep way. So it was very easy for him to also very clearly articulate that in this whole debate of is Hinduism, polytheism, pantheism, and the more recent debates, that he just struck off this, there is that one God uh, argument, and he said there is only God, all that is here is Ishwara. And in his public talks, as also in the courses that he conducted, this was his primary emphasis because the more real Ishvara was in a person's life, it was very easy to shift to the Swarupa of Ishvara and therefore Tattva Masi obviously becomes very clear. Then of course he used and avoided certain words and this is very important and this is my request to a lot of academicians that in, again in our uh, attempt to simplify or um, 
make ourselves understood, we use words that do not have translatables. Swami Chinmanji already spoke about how soul cannot be translated as Atma. And likewise, because of Abrahamic connotations, it's better to avoid using the word God and replace it with Ishwara because here we're talking about Abhinna Nimitta, Jaga, Abhinna Nimitta Upadana Karanam. Likewise, even Shraddha has a deeper meaning rather than faith. Uh, I have heard few people here use the word salvation. I don't quite know what that means. But we're talking about moksha here, which is freedom from the sense of bondage. Even the bondage is not real. And any attempt to conceptualize the teaching, small I, big I, self, small self, big self, while our intentions are wonderful, but it is further adding to conceptualization. And he just sort of broke through all of that. <clears throat> Uh, another very important thing, and I had, had a bit of a discussion slash argument with one pe person here, can't see him now, um, about the word mithya. Vedanta is not understood, I find, in large circles because satyam and mithya is not understood. And here mithya, the, the translation unfortunately is false and illusory. And uh, Puja Swamiji always emphasized that where there is mithya, there is satyam. It is just an ontological word pointing to the status of reality. And so therefore it has a dependent existence. It's paratantra satta, it is not svatantra. So this is something that really needs to be assimilated because when we translate it as false and illusory, we are losing out on the depth of meaning that uh, the word mithya has in the context of satyam, obviously. In, in, the, in the three days that we've been here, I have not heard much about Vedanta as a pramanam. Vedanta is not a system, it is not a school of thought, although in academic circles, perhaps it's presented that way. Unless Vedanta is seen as a pramana, pramakaranam iti pramanam, a means of knowledge, we will struggle with conceptualizing it. We will struggle with visualizing it. We will struggle to make it more scientific so that it gains validation. And we will also try to uh, dumb it down. So there is enough and more said in Vedanta Paribhasha which can be added to our understanding. But here, just as my eyes are a pramana for me to see, the, the words of the Shastra are a pramana for me to see the truth of myself. I am partially alone. I am self-evident, Swata Prakashas and Swata Siddha. But what I am is not known. So the Shastra is only pointing out what I am. I am is already self-evident. And so unless the words of Vedanta are not used as a pramana, uh, the thinking will be very conceptual, and you are not a concept, so why would you conceptualize yourself? And then, uh, how, how much time do I have? Another five minutes? Yes, yeah, okay. So this is a very important thing uh, that he emphasized, all in line, of course, with the Bhashya. In fact, at the end of, uh, I think, the first uh, sutra, Bhashya says, 
tasmat siddham brahmanah shastra pramanakam so it is not something that uh, swami ji emphasized or he reinvented he was just uh, in line with the tradition and therefore the pressure to prove vedanta as a science doesn't hold valid because science is based on perception and inference which are two independent pramanas so when you are saying that vedanta is a, a pramana we are saying it is the sixth pramana that which perception and inference cannot reveal is what is revealed by vedanta so we have no qualms with science in fact we will use many scientific arguments to talk about vyavaharika satyam so there's a lot to be said and this could be well be a book not only just a paper but i will proceed then in modern vedanta modern vedanta i mean in in the english translations and how vedanta has been taught over the last let's say 75 years a lot of confusions have crept in for different reasons and a, a lot of teachers have uh, again well intentioned but uh, some of these confusions that are there is that all religions lead to the same goal so of course we have sarva uh, we have ekatma bhava but let us not uh, dilute the tradition the second thing and again this is something i would love to uh, debate with someone on which is that uh, which i've heard over here is that self realization is a special experience now if you look at the definition of an experience it is based on sense data and if it is an experience it will start in time it will end in time so are you saying moksha is a state of experience i mean there are lots of arguments but i'm not delving into it but this is something that he reestablished that it is not an event sitting under the bodhi tree uh, nor is it a special experience because it will end in time it is the truth of who you are and likewise uh, we are not being dogmatic here we are not uh, even trying to accommodate and say oh all yogas will lead to moksha very clearly if the problem human problem is not articulated as one of avidya then all these matas can hold but if the human problem is articulated as avidya then definitely the only solution is jnanam and this who am i inquiry in the absence of the shastra we, even if you go deep within will not reveal the atma because very clearly it is said asampradaya with murkhavat upekshaniya so please Uh, do not you know ignore the ones who are not uh, with with the sampradaya and a couple of last points which is uh, in addition to uh, how he contributed in terms of his pedagogy and the way in which he brought chankra bhashya alive to all the ones who studied with him he also contributed extensively to hindu dharma and therefore the formation of the hindu dharma acharya sabha which was bringing together a lot of the mathadipatis uh, so that hindu dharma can speak with one voice so it has been very instrumental in many initiatives including the indo jewish dialogue and also the indo buddhist dialogue 
And then, in, in a very uh, pioneering way, he did make the statement, conversion is violence, in 99 at the Dharmarakshana Samiti, which then eventually became adopted by the UN in 2008. This is very important in the context of religious conversion and how we view it and what needs to be done about it. So there's much more that all these Mahatmas have done, and I've just covered a tiny slice of uh, their contribution to the Sampradaya, them being Sampradaya Vits. Om Tat uh, And to see how both the gurus worked together in the late 60s, Swami Chinmayanji founded the Vishu Hindu Parishad. He was one of the founding members of Vishu Hindu Parishad. And Swami Dhananji wrote the constitution of the Vishu Hindu Parishad. I don't think they're following it enough, but he wrote it. So just to see how they both function together. 